Hi, I'm Desiree Andres, and I'm the host of your new favorite podcast, Minimalish. Minimalish is a podcast about making room for what matters in your life by living with less of what doesn't matter and more of what does, and pursuing intention in every area of our everyday lives. We talk about a realistic version of minimalism that fits your family. We talk about motherhood, family life, work, decluttering, intentional finances, and everything in between. Listen to Minimalish on the iHeart app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. In today's episode, I'll be chatting with Amy Anger. Amy is a child and family therapist and mom of six. After two years of post-grad training at Yale Child Study Center, she's been a therapist in private practice for 16 years. Last year, as she saw the mental health fallout of COVID for our children and families, she decided to take the advice and the strategies that she was sharing with the families she works with and make them widely available to all families through her platform on Instagram, at The Real Parent. Amy is currently working on developing workshops for parents around the topic of childhood mental health, sleep, general parenting, parenting teenagers, and space, a specific treatment for childhood anxiety that focuses on adjusting parenting behaviors in order to decrease childhood anxiety. In today's episode, we talk about navigating when children lie, no matter what age they are. Why do they do it? What can we do as parents to make it less likely they will lie? And so much more. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode. This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All right, everyone. Today we have Amy Anger here on the podcast. Welcome, Amy. Thank you so much, Lindsay. I'm happy to be here. So I had reached out to you a little while ago because I had discovered you talking about lying and, and kids lying. And I was mm-hmm. like, ooh, this is such a good topic because every single one of us, first of all, has had a kid that lies or has lied before. And handling Definitely. it handling it can be very difficult. And so I'm excited to talk about this with you today and kind of navigate through it depending on the child's age and such. But can you first start off with just telling us a little bit about your background and how you became interested in psychology in general? Sure. So it's funny because I entered college knowing that I was going to be an elementary school teacher. It was major was declared. I knew I wanted to work with kids. And my sophomore year of college, I for reasons I really can't pinpoint, had this sort of college identity crisis of that's not right. That's not what I should be doing. That's not what I want to be doing. I'm not feeling the passion for it. And I was really left kind of going, well, I don't know what to do. Like I was getting into classes for a major, my generals were done. And I got, this was back like 1998. And I got the course catalog and like the size of a phone book. And I basically did kind of a cover to cover. I had my highlighter and I went through and I said, I'm just going to look at what am I interested in based on class names, course descriptions, what am I interested in? And I'm going to take a semester and just take classes that are really interesting to me. And every single one of the classes I took fell under a psychology major. So at that point I knew, you know, it's going to be a blend of psychology and working with kids. And then I started thinking back on people I knew or therapists that I had heard about growing up. There was a woman who lived up the street from us who worked from her home, saw children as a child therapist in her home. And I just remember thinking that sounded really interesting to me. So psychology, I got my bachelor's in psychology. I went on to get my master's in social work. And following that, I was lucky enough to go to Yale Child Study Center for what I thought was going to be a year, but ended up being two years in their postgraduate child study center program that teaches all about child and adolescent work, family counseling, parent work, just really gives you such an immersive experience in how to be the best therapist for kids. So I was lucky enough to do that. And then just as I was finishing that program, I had my first child right after that. And I took a number of months and then I opened a private practice. And I've been doing that for almost 17 years. And just recently went to Instagram to start to share some of this information in a way that can be accessible to more families. But that was how my path got me to where I am. So cool. And you're a mom of six, right? 
I am. I am a mom of six. So that, that one child, he, it's my oldest. He's a boy, 17. So we had boy, girl, boy, and four had kind of always been our number. And I said to my husband, let's go for our fourth. I really want to get a sister for my daughter. I grew up without sisters. My mom grew up without sisters. I thought, let's go for our fourth and see if we get a sister for our daughter, Abby. And lo and behold, we got identical triplet girls, which was the biggest surprise of our lives. It's incredibly rare. We had no reason to think that that would be happening. So, Oh my gosh, that's crazy. You're speechless right now. I am literally speechless. You had identical triplets. Yes. (laughs) Because I cannot fathom this in my wildest dreams, having three kids and then being told I had triplets. Like I, without any intervention, like what? You and me both, because I'm like laying there on the ultra. They eased us in gently for better and worse because the first two or three ultrasounds, they told us twins. So we had, we had a little baby in there, little baby B who's my Lily. She was hiding every ultrasound up until the end. Thankfully we didn't have a surprise in the delivery room, but they told us twins. We announced to friends and family and it wasn't until my anatomy scan that they went, Oh, Oh, by the way, there's another baby in there. So I am laying on that table. I have a five, three and a one-year-old at home who I'm like knee deep taking care of. Right. And suddenly they're like, Oh yeah, you're going to have three newborns at once. So that was a lot. That was a lot to get through. I I don't know that I want to survive. (laughs) (laughs) You would have because you're a doer. I don't know. I mean, what I know of you, you are a doer, but it really, it really rocked our world in a way, like not to make light of it, but like that first, the pregnancy was incredibly emotional, incredibly scary. And thankfully it was the healthiest thing ever, which was just a miracle. And then the first year was just really all hands on deck and saying yes to everything. I'm a doer. I'm a pretty independent person. And suddenly I was like, yes, if you'll bring a meal, please bring a meal. If you'll come over and hold the baby, yes, please. Like we had to bring in help. We had to say yes to anybody who was willing to step in and give us a hand. So, and now it's like the best thing ever. I've got you know, nobody is left alone as the caboose. Mm -hmm. Everybody, there's always a friend for somebody. So it's actually kind of the best kept secret, but it didn't feel like that when we found out for sure. I, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're telling me that I could have done it, but I I need a moment. (laughs) Like I, I mean, it's making me like, I think my heart rate when you said that was like, jumped like quite oh yeah I am sweating <laughs> I am um and yeah. you know and I have four it's not like I only ha- you know I'm like I, I understand a lot of kids but- yeah you're like I get it <laughs> no it was funny because my husband I had to kind of talk him off the ledge with twins I was like we're totally gonna oh, be able to do this gosh. we are fine and then when they added that one extra baby at the ultrasound it was totally reversed and him being the cheerleader being like hon we got this we can do this and I was like I don't know we can yeah. <laughs> and no choice at that can. point <laughs> you are in it yeah to win it. <laughs> completely yeah it's like that Jim Gaffigan bit oh, where he's like yeah. you want to know what it's like to have was it like four kids like pretend you're swimming with three kids and somebody throws yep. you a baby or pretend you're drowning and somebody throws yep. you a baby and it's oh, like yeah sink or swim is. and yeah yeah, yeah. Sink or yeah. swim. So. Um, yeah. And I agree. I mean, I think, you know, the more the merrier, like my kids are great playing together. They have built in playmates all the time. And I mean, I just love it, but it is hard. <laughs> it is hard. It is hard. It is. Hard. It is. And, and it's in different stages. It's hard in different ways, but it really is. We have signed up, you know, without realizing we were signing up for a level of busy that we didn't realize we were signing up for, but we feel incredibly mm-hmm. lucky to be doing so. So cool. Life is like the unexpected is sometimes the best, but we've had lots of unexpected turns and that was probably the top one. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So now that we've discussed that, because that's the most surprising thing about this episode. <laughs> we can do a whole episode yeah, on that. I know, point. honestly. <laughs> so today we're talking about why kids lie. And so I'd love for you to talk to us about kind of why they do and how does that change as they age? Okay. So we can really, when we think about why kids lie, we can really lump it into three large categories. They're usually lying to avoid something, whether that's like a situation or a consequence. They're lying to appear a certain way, like I'm the fastest runner in the school or, you know, whatever it is. They want to appear big and grand and amazing or they lie to get something that they really want. So 
those we can, you know, there might be some outliers in there, but we can really in general lump why kids lie into those categories. When kids first start lying, I mean, we, we can see lying in kids as young as like two and Mm -hmm. three, which sounds quite young, but developmentally, it really is them testing out boundaries and realizing, oh, I have my own mind and you have your own mind. And they're kind of exploring this idea of separateness and testing it out. And, and there really is so much innocence that comes with that. And then as kids do get older, we do see things where it's more intentional or it becomes more problematic as they age into, hey, wait, you know, this is wrong, but you're still doing it. That kind of changes it from like the three-year-old that says, I didn't eat that cookie and they've got crumbs spilling out of Mm -hmm. their mouth versus a teenager who lies about who they went and hung out with that night. And you come to find out that things were not the way that they painted them to be. So it kind of goes through those stages, but really what we do see is that they still fall into those categories of they want to avoid something, they want to appear a certain way, or they want to get something they want. The motivation behind lying really is consistent across the lifespan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we know, you and I are both grownups. There are some adults who haven't aged out of realizing that lying really isn't the best approach to mm-hmm. things. So, you know, it carries over. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, obviously, like we know plenty of adults that have lied, right? I mean, everybody's told their own lie throughout their life. Think about back to high school and just growing up. You you just, for different reasons, like you mentioned, will kind of fib your way around things sometimes. <laughs> and you'll, it's- you'll fib your way around things. The thing I love about when kids lie, and the other thing that I feel like is worth mentioning is that the guilt and shame on the part of kids also changes as they, as they get older. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in that preschool age, they're not feeling a huge sense of shame and guilt about what they've done, right? They are not developmentally to that level yet. But as you do get older and you like get out of latency age and hit preteen and teen years, you really do start to see kids develop some sense of shame around lying and the guilt and the way that that affects mm-hmm. them. Yeah, it's funny too. And I, and I'm sure you've seen this with your kids, but like there's such a huge difference between like my first and then my fourth. My fourth is she's picked up on like what the others will do. So I'll be like, did you just get, did you just get a cookie from the plantry? And she'll look straight at me and be like, nope. And I'm like, uh-huh. hmm. sure didn't. Because mom. <laughs> I think I see cookie crumbs around your mouth. And she'll be like, nope. And, and, you know, this is like a year ago when she was like two, you know, and, and she's watched her brother and her sisters do the same thing. <laughs> you know, it's just funny. Yep. But sometimes it's not so funny. So I think my first question to you would be, how do you handle this when they're when they are that like smaller age where they might not really even know maybe they are trying to push those boundaries to see like where you're gonna set the boundary? And I feel like this mm-hmm. can be really important as the parent to lay the groundwork going forward and trying to create just an environment for honesty. And so how do we approach this with them when they're in their younger years? And we know that what they're telling us isn't exactly the truth. Like how should we approach it? So before I answer that question, I think it's so helpful for every parent listening listening to this to realize that when your child lies to you, in some ways they are giving you a gift because they are giving you some insight into what they care about, what's hard for them, what they're self-conscious about, what some of their internal struggles are that they might not even be able to conceptualize or verbalize on the outside. So, you know, let's take it, let's keep it simple with this example of, you know, they took the cookie, they're saying they, they didn't take the cookie. Really, the way we want to respond to all kids when they lie is we don't want to build up shame around mm-hmm. lying. So, you know, first step would be, give them a chance to just come clean with it. You know, Hey, Oh, it looks like you have a cookie. No, I don't have a cookie. Now, if I were to watch this on a, if I were to press rewind and watch this, what would I really see? You know, you can start by being a little bit playful Mm -hmm. with it and see if they'll come out with it. But in an effort to not foster lying, if they really are not fessing up with it and they think, Oh, I totally pulled one over on Mm -hmm. mom. She has no idea. Hey, I can do this again with other things. I do think it's important to just have really straightforward conversations with your child at their level. So if you've got a three or four-year-old who's grabbing that cookie, it's important to have the conversation to say something like, you know, it's okay that you want to have a cookie, but remember that in our house, we just, we ask first. 
and or maybe we're going to save that cookie till nap time. So a very gentle but clear way that says like, hey, I see that what you're telling me and what actually happened are different. And it's okay for you to ask for these things. It's okay for us to talk about these things. But it is okay for you as the parent to let them know, I see that you're not actually being 100% truthful with me. So next time, just ask and we'll make sure we find a way you can have the cookie. Mm -hmm. And you know, if, if cookies are off limits in your house, then just don't have them in your pantry when they're not available. But you know, if you've got certain rules around screens or food or whatever, and your child is regularly lying about those, they are really telling you, I, the desire to have that is so strong and I just don't have the willpower to resist Mm -hmm. it. And they might need you to help set some of those boundaries a little more firmly. Yeah. And I feel like that's such a good point that I haven't really honestly thought of before, but like, I mean, very obvious once you said it, that you're kind of getting this sneak peek into their brain and what they, you know, what they really care about or what they might be struggling with. Yes. Like you've got a kid who comes home from school and says, you know, Mrs. So-and-so said, I'm the best reader in the class. I'm the best reader that she's ever had. You know, Mm -hmm. you, you can have a pretty good confidence right there that your child is maybe feeling pretty self-conscious about their reading and how their reading compares to Mm -hmm. others in their class. If the story that they're wanting to tell themselves and wanting you to believe about them is I'm the best at this, really what they're telling you is, Hey, I really feel like I'm falling short by comparison Mm -hmm. in this. You know, if they're weaving a story around it, there's something there for you as the parent to be paying attention to, because when you then understand that about them, you can actually be doing things outside of the direct scenario of telling the lie. You can be doing things to kind of bolster them up in other areas of interacting around this topic that help bolster them Mm -hmm. up and you're feeding them little things so that they don't then need to lean on telling the lie in order to feel or appear a certain Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear your thoughts on something that might have a bit more weight to it as far as just like trying to make that balance of the connection between your child and you during Mm -hmm. a more stressful type of event. So perhaps it's your kids are fighting and you know there's like physical altercation or something that happens and then you know you were in the other room so you don't know what happened and they're like well she hit me well he hit me first and blah 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 how can we kind of handle that situation okay and then say you have a third just happens to me often we have a third child okay. who enters the ring who's like oh well i saw that oh you've got the referee <laughs> who stepped into things <laughs> What a helper is really something, right? Like this is this is where it gets tricky with multiple kids because everybody wants a piece of the pie, and so then you have you know one of your kids was I saw it and you know he hit her first and, and no I didn't and no I didn't okay so how are we approaching this situation and say we did see it and we know who hit who first but they're lying about it mm-hmm. how can we help preserve the connection with? all the kids at the same time, while also setting that boundary of we cannot hit and also lying about it, also not good. <laughs> like, yes. how, how am I doing that as a parent? Okay, so you've just pulled in so many I know, sorry. different aspects. I'm like, which direction <laughs> I do I want to take with this? So, okay, so we'll, we'll tackle this in a couple different ways. The one is that I would say, if we're talking about sibling rivalry and who started and who did what and what that looks like, As a parent, it is so important to be careful that you don't come in and set up a standard for your kids where they are regularly pitted against each other. Or when one child is put on the spot to be like, Kate, well, tell me what you saw. Like Mm -hmm. if we're talking about the referee, Mm -hmm. maybe, right? Because in that way, we are very much affecting the sibling dynamic. And that is such a, you know, it's it's a touch and go sort of dynamic. Mm -hmm. And it is so easily influenced by a parent stepping in. And if you're influencing that in any way, you want to make sure you're influencing it in a positive way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, I would, I would probably enter that situation. And if you did see it from the beginning, but it's hard to determine what the beginning is, because sometimes it's a little interaction from the other room. And maybe somebody said something really unkind to the person that you didn't hear under the breath. So you saw the first punch, but you didn't really see the first instigation. Mm -hmm. So For me, when it comes to sibling rivalry, it's really about setting the boundary around kindness. And it's okay as the parent to admit, you know what, 
I didn't see everything that happened Mm -hmm. and I didn't see what came first, but really I actually don't care what came first because what I care about is that I can see each of you made choices in here that really go against what matters to us in our family. So you know that if things get physical and you say, Hey, please stop. And they don't stop. That's when you then come to me for help. You then don't take it into your own hands because I think it's so important within families. And I think it is so easy within families to let this slip that safety sometimes goes by the wayside Mm -hmm. in terms of who's right, who's wrong. So really in that situation, I would say emphasize that in our family, it's safe to be here and you're not going to hear things said to you and you're not going to have somebody get physical with you in a way that makes you feel physically or emotionally unsafe. And your reaction as the parent when you enter that situation will help set the tone for that. Yeah. The other thing to remember in these situations, like we're dealing, if we're dealing with young kids in here and things got hot really fast and somebody threw a punch and somebody pushed and they're saying, well, I didn't do that or she did it first. We have to remember that when their tempers rise to the point that they do when they're getting physical, logic has left the building. Mm-hmm. And all of these sort of timing and chronology details, they get really fuzzy. Mm-hmm. So they might actually be remembering like, no, you hit me first. And it feels like they hit them first, but they're forgetting that they also kicked before they got mm-hmm. hit because logic has left the building. And then when you're trying to look back and remember something in a logical sequence, that was fully motivated by reactiveness and emotion, your child might not actually be intentionally lying there. So I would be really careful to not make it about Mm -hmm. lying unless you absolutely know and it's clear and they know it, you know, and, and there are situations like that where you're like, okay, I saw this with my own eyes. It came Mm -hmm. about very distinctly, but in some ways I would make that less about lying and more about reiterating like, Hey, in our family, we don't treat each other in a way that would make anybody feel unsafe, whether emotionally or physically. So, you know, equal opportunity employer in terms of consequences at that point. Mm-hmm. I wasn't here, but everybody's going to have a consequence for this because we know we can do better than mm-hmm. these guys. Like, let's make sure that we treat each other the best way that we can and and go with that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the sibling rivalry, I feel like, has is is one of the most difficult things to kind of navigate. And it is so complicated. Yeah. yeah. And what you said is so true. Like you can't, it always has to be, and this is something that I've, I've learned over time that it has to be a us against the problem type of thing instead of like Mm -hmm. a, well, you know, you and your brother are always fighting and I always have to step in and kind of making it this like, well, you are fighting with your brother and now it's me against you because now you guys are fighting. Yes. And sometimes you don't even realize these things, right? And you look back and you're like, oh shoot, yeah, that definitely like I can understand yeah, why that to the to the child can be so triggering for them and can make them feel shame and all of the all those things because yes. it's not you're supposed to be the sturdy leader. And, you know, if you're not, if you're saying like, this is me against you, there's no like collaborative effort and the child is kind of lost, right? Because you're supposed to be that person for the them. The child is lost. Yeah. And often the child who's not getting in trouble, then they feel the stronger connection to you, mm. which, you know, it's having a connection with our children is good. But when it comes about in that way, yeah. and that's the dynamic, they feel this kind of stronger connection. Like, yeah, mom, see, like, you know, mm-hmm. they're the ones mm-hmm. that are only then makes that child who maybe was the instigator feel more alienated. Right. And what more than anything is that when kids feel disconnected, when kids feel alienated, we are going to see them ramp up in any of these negative behaviors, whether it's lying or getting physical or being disrespectful or whatever connection is key. Mm-hmm. And so when dealing with a situation, whether it is sibling rivalry, whether it is dealing with a child who is always being dishonest or is frequently being dishonest, we need to approach it from a place that we stay connected because if in our discipline and handling of the situation, we lead that child to feel less connected to us, we're only going to see more negative behaviors. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really, really good point. And I can't remember what I was listening to or reading at the time, but I was having a lot of issues with one of our kids and 
was trying to figure, I was like, what is going on? Like, what can I do? And the answer can sometimes be literally that simple. Like spend five to 10 minutes connecting with that child every single day and see if there's a difference in their behavior. This podcast episode is brought to you by Mosh. Whether you are fighting the morning rush off to fit in a midday workout or between meals on a busy day, Mosh protein bars are a great snack to keep your brain and body fit, fueled, and feeling full. There are six delicious flavors to choose from, and each bar includes 12 grams of protein and is made with ingredients that support brain health, like omega-3s, collagen, and more. At 160 calories and one gram of sugar, Mosh protein bars are a great snack for on the go. My personal favorite flavor is the peanut butter chocolate crunch, but all of the flavors are pretty darn good. I keep these bars in my car for on the go, and it's great to have a protein boost available whenever I may need it. Another one of my favorite things about this brand is that they donate a portion of all proceeds to support women's brain research through the Women's Alzheimer's Movement at Cleveland Clinic. Don't settle for a mediocre snack when you can nourish your body and mind with the fuel it needs to succeed. If you want to find ways to give back to others and fuel your body and brain, Mosh Bars are the perfect choice for you. Head to moshlife.com slash Lindsay, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y, to save 20% off plus free shipping on either the Best Sellers Trial Pack or their new Plant-Based Trial Pack. That's 20% off plus free shipping on either the Best Sellers or Plant-Based Trial Pack at M-O-S-H-L-I-F-E dot com slash Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y. Thank you, Mosh, for sponsoring this episode. It's the cheapest, Seriously. easiest miracle cure. Seriously. Like, and especially when we had so many young kids at once in our mm-hmm. home and it was our attention was spread so thin. When we would start to have some of these like behavioral issues with one of our kids, my husband and I just got to the point where we knew mm-hmm. they need a date night. They need to be taken out of this. They need some one-on-one. They need to reconnect. And for some time, for some, it was a date night. For my daughter, as she got a little bit older, as she got into like early elementary school, she and I started keeping this little journal together that we'd write in and put on the other person's pillow. And it was this back and forth. And it was like just enough to shore up and just help them feel this sense of connection Mm -hmm. and being seen. And I was like, oh my word, this is like five minutes of my day. And it makes every other hour of my day so much easier. Best kept secret. It really is. I love that you just brought that up because I just did this with um, one of our kids. And I think, and hopefully this will resonate with somebody. um, That's why I'm sharing. So this same child has issues at school. Like she has dyslexia and some other issues kind of like that she's working through. And, you know, we try to encourage her that these are like superpowers of hers and things like that. And we're really Mm -hmm. um, diving deep into it and she's doing great. But for a while we didn't know these things, right? Like she's, you know, She's still just early on in her elementary school career. And so sure. we didn't realize so many of those things that she was doing at home was also a result of just the struggling at school and not feeling yes. um, and always being pulled out and being told like, this is why you're being pulled out. And, and so, so many things were kind of stacking up and, and then of course, like coming home and then kind of imploding, right? Because kids feel most comfortable yes. with us. And Absolutely. Yeah. So when I would notice her like fighting with her brother more or just kind of just exploding over smaller things that she normally wouldn't do, I Mm -hmm. just kind of have to reevaluate and think, okay, like what can we do here? But what I just introduced with her, cause she, she, I've been trying to get her to do like two sentences at night about her day. Like just write down two sentences Mm -hmm. at night about your day. And she's like, I hate writing. I'm terrible at writing. I'm not doing it. And I'm like, okay. So then I, same thing. It's a parent-child journal. So I was like, okay. They're my favorite. I was like, I got this parent-child journal. We're going to work on it together. And it, it alternates writing with like pictures. pictures yeah. yes. So I'm like, yes. this is amazing. She loves it. We do it every – well, whenever we have time. It's not necessarily at night. Sometimes it's like right when she gets home from school. And sure. I fill out one page and then she fills out the other page. And it's like this time that we get together. And I mean, it's been wonder. I mean, it's only been like a week and a half. It's like been wonderful for the both of us. It's such a game changer. It is. And I will say, so I have got them with my triplets and then I started doing them with my older daughter when she was probably five or so. And at the beginning it was, you know, very regular. The minute I put it back on her pillow, it was back on my pillow the next night. 
as time went on, it became less frequent. She didn't need it as much. But when we got to the point where we had filled up that whole journal and there would be nights where I would like climb in bed, open it and just be laughing to myself or just like, oh my gosh, this is the sweetest thing ever. Like it was just full of so many little treasures where we filled up that whole book. And by the time she got a little bit older and the way she was expressing herself at the end and what this meant to her that we had this journal together and how supported she felt by me. These journals are the sort of thing that I'm like, house is on fire. I am grabbing them. They are (laughs) priceless. And they are just such a great little moment and a fantastic connector. They are really my favorite thing. And, you know, as they get older and they struggle with these things that they want to talk to you about, but they don't necessarily want to talk to you about it face to face, right? Like such a great opportunity. Eye contact. Yeah. Yeah. For them to be like, I'm really struggling with this and writing it down. Right. And then, and then knowing that you don't necessarily need to talk about it face to face, you'll get an answer and advice like through a book and you don't even have to yes. have like that embarrassing, like, oh my gosh, I have to talk to my mom about this. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah. yeah. And, and the little, like the silent message that she's getting from you, which is like, Hey, yeah, this is super important, but I also get, it's kind of embarrassing. I'm going to totally respect that. Like it's in the book it's here and I've answered it, but I'm not going to put you on the spot mm-hmm. in like the day-to-day life. If you don't feel comfortable going yeah. there with me. Yeah. They really, they are the yeah. best. Absolutely. So modeling for our kids is really, really great. And so I would love to hear if you have any tips or suggestions on like modeling honesty in general, like if when it comes to the topic of lying, is there a way that we can model for our children how to do that? Absolutely. And we are always regularly doing it. And I think sometimes parents think, oh, you know, these things are over our kids' heads. Our kids are picking up on all of the little things we do. So if you're on a phone call and your child hears you say, oh, I wish I could, but we have to like go do this thing tonight or something. And you hang up the phone and your kid's going, mom, we're not going there tonight. (laughs) They're paying attention to that. Or if you are heading to the movie theaters and you're like, oh my word, you just turned 12. We'll just say you're 11 so that we can pay like $5 less. Whatever it is, your kids are picking up on that. So I, I would encourage all parents, like be be super honest, practice like super disciplined honesty in the way that you live your own life because they are watching. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's that little message that you're sending to them of, well, it's okay to lie in certain situations, but not others. And a message that I really like, and sometimes you might have your kids say, oh, mom, you know, I don't want to make that friend feel bad. So just tell them I'm sick mm-hmm. or I don't want to do this. Just tell them this. I like parents responding with like, no, I want to be able to give an honest answer Mm -hmm. and we can give an honest answer. That's also kind, you know, which is kind of teaching children the nuance of you don't always have to say the whole entire truth. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But also you might have a kid sometime as they get older, who goes, Hey mom, just say that we're 10. It's going to be cheaper for us to go in or whatever. And to express to them, you know what? I've actually never felt great after I told a lie. So I'd rather just pay the extra money and feel good about Mm -hmm. what I'm doing. Letting those sorts of messages come up in the everyday, those will matter to your kids. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, are there things that we do as parents and maybe we don't recognize that actually make it more likely that my child will lie? Unfortunately, there are, but it's it's the sort of thing that is just really good to Mm -hmm. know. And one of those things, if we're thinking about this broad category of children are lying to avoid something. Often what children are lying about in order to avoid is a big consequence or a big reaction from mom or dad. So just being really honest with yourself for both you and the other partner in the relationship of what are our reactions like when our kids get in trouble? Are we super reactive and quick tempered or do we stay pretty measured so that our kids know that, hey, it's okay to make mistakes here. Mistakes are a way to learn and grow. So I think, I think realizing that, and I think it's so important for kids to hear a parent talk about the little mistakes that they're making throughout the day. It's great for them to hear about like, Hey, when I was younger, I told this lie or I did this thing and tell how you solved it. But also it is really helpful for kids to hear you admit the stupid thing you did, the mistake that you made along the way and how you made it right. Because that really helps create a culture in a house of Mistakes are okay. Mistakes are part of learning. And when I think about kids who lie and and how to really conceptualize it, what I picture is 
when your child is lying, really they're just showing you a gap between the scenario that they're facing and their skills and ability to handle it. And so your reaction as the parent, you want to come in and be like, hey, let's bridge that gap. And if we're putting lying aside and saying, what are we doing in the everyday that might help? Well, that might lead a child to lie, being super reactive, being super punitive, harsh punishments, yelling, all of that, your child is going to want to avoid that Mm -hmm. kind of a reaction. So, so that's one thing that, that we might be doing. Also using other scenarios that, that aren't to do with Mm -hmm. lying, but maybe, you know, forgetting to turn in homework or little things as, oh, this just shows me that you're needing a little bit of support and bolstering in your skills in order to deal with these things. The same thing applies to Mm -hmm. lying. I think sometimes the other thing that we as parents do, and this might come from teachers, this might come from coaches, is without realizing we're doing it, sometimes we set up a culture of comparison in our house. And when kids are finding themselves feeling really insecure or really lacking, or like they are being compared and falling short, we might be pushing them towards wanting to try to lie to appear better Mm -hmm. than they are. So that would be that would be one of the other things that I think we as parents should be aware of to be careful to not be using this like superlative type language, mm-hmm. right? But to really be like looking at each child and oh, you really work hard at this instead of oh, you're the best at this because the best really leaves room for one on that podium. Mm-hmm. And and our kids don't want to feel that way. Our kids want to be recognized for what they're doing well. And if if we have set up even this very unspoken culture of comparison in our house, our kids are going to try to find ways to be noticed by us for mm-hmm. that. Yeah, no, it makes a, it makes a lot of sense. And kind of stemming off from that, I'd love to hear your thoughts on if your child is, you know, what if your child is vocal about that comparison, but in a way that they feel it's kind of opposite of like, I'm the best at this. It's like the, well, they're way better. Like let's use reading, for example, they're way better at reading than I am. Like my, my daughter has done this once or twice where she's, you know, her younger brother, she's like, sees him reading a book to us or something. And she'll Mm -hmm. say, I'm not reading because he reads better than I do. And he's younger than me. And I always struggle with that because I want to help her, but not in a way that's me saying like, oh, that's not true. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to handle it that way. So what are your suggestions as far as, as far as that when they're kind of vocalizing that, but they're doing it in a way that, you know, you can tell obviously like that's a struggle of theirs and they feel very mm-hmm. like just shamed that they don't, they're not able to read at that level or, you know, what have you. Oh, how do you handle that? So I think the fixers in us as parents, we want to go in and say, oh, no, mm-hmm. no, 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 don't feel that yeah. way, right? Like yeah. everything that you're saying, like, how do we resist that, but also support them mm-hmm. in the moment? And my knee-jerk reaction in that is to go to almost like a narrative kind of role. So your daughter's saying, well, look, he can read so much better than me. I'm just not going to read anymore, whatever. You are going to just give a voice to what you're noticing mm-hmm. in a way that is very age appropriate mm-hmm. for her. So something like, wow, it looks like that's really hard for you to compare yourself to other Mm -hmm. people, or you're really paying attention to what other people do in their reading. I bet that gets kind of hard Mm -hmm. because chances are it's actually less about your son and more about a larger picture of what her experience is like at school as a whole. And when you as the parent just kind of step back and say, hey, this is what I see. This is what I see happening. Typically what happens is a child will be like, well, yeah. And, and they'll Mm. tell you a whole lot more about what is happening in your life. And you've just expanded the conversation in a way that helps them process Mm -hmm. and gives you information about how you can be supportive to them instead of a response like, Oh, don't say that, but he's younger than you, or you do other things better. That really just shuts that Mm -hmm. down. Because when you shut that down, the message that you send is I'm really uncomfortable with you being uncomfortable. Don't show me when you're uncomfortable where the message we want to send to our kids is, Hey, I can sit with uncomfortable things. You can bring your uncomfortable things here. You can show them, you can lay them all out on the table and I'm okay to sit and look at them with you and talk through them with you. That's the message we want our kids to get from us. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. I want to ask you one thing before we wrap wrap up here. As children get older, I feel like it's it can be more common for them to be influenced by their friends to be a little bit less truthful to us about certain things. Mm-hmm. And how do you handle that situation if you know that that is the case? I think if you know that it's the case, I always try to start with if the child will come about it on their own. If they will, if I can phrase a question in a way 
or make an observation in a way that would lend my child to come about it on their own. That's always my first preference. But I'm also not willing to just drop it if my if I can see my child is not taking the bait on that. And they're not going to, you know, they're not just going to come forth with everything. And I think that kids really respect us when they see that we can go to them, again, talking about uncomfortable things. When we go to our kids in a very respectful but matter-of-fact way with kind of the big stuff, it actually sends this message to them of like, hey, you're mature enough to handle this. We can talk about this together. So saying something like, you know what? I've been noticing that through these different situations, so-and-so really often tries to get you to say things that aren't Mm -hmm. true. And it makes me a little uncomfortable. And I'm wondering how it makes you feel to be put on the spot like that by them. Yeah. And have that conversation with them. And then through hearing how it makes them feel and hearing what the experience is like for them, you as the parent then can then step in and say, all right, let's kind of problem solve some of these things Mm -hmm. together. Let's role play. Let's think about possible responses. And, you know, are there other ways that this friend is trying to get you to do things that make you uncomfortable in other ways? You know, Mm -hmm. not every friendship is meant to be a best friend forever. Some friendships need space. And I think having conversations with our kids about that really teaches them about setting boundaries in friendships, which is such an important life skill. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I, the role playing, I mean, I have found as like in my, in my 10 year old has been great for like managing friendship issues. Yes. We had an incident last year and she like was so lost with how to handle it. And she just didn't really know how to stand up for herself at all. And it was just like the repetition of role playing until she felt comfortable with just being, I think she struggles with laying down a boundary and then like being solid on it because mm-hmm. she wants to make every, you know people happy. Like she's like, she I, don't to make wanna, everybody I don't feel want to, good. Yeah. Sure. And so we would just role play and we had sure enough, like another incident come up with a different person. And she was like, Oh, well, this is what I did. And it was like, it's kind of cool to see it come full circle, you know? Yeah. It is. And it's so helpful for kids because when you kind of prep them for some of these uncomfortable situations, they'll be in, Again, like you, like when we were talking about with sibling rivalry, when emotions get hot and when they're in a situation where suddenly anxiety amps up, logic leaves the mm-hmm. room, which is why we as adults even end up in situations where after the fact, we calm down and we're like, oh, why didn't I say this? I forgot. Why did, I didn't even point out this, right? Logic leaves the mm-hmm. room. So when we can talk to our kids and arm them with some good strategies, scripts, whatever it looks like when it's calm and when logic is there and sort of embed those in them, they will totally be in a better place to be able to use those and call on those. And they're going to feel less anxious when they're presented with yes. it because they can, they can give these responses very matter of factly in a way that they still feel confident. And that is such a gift to mm-hmm. our kids. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Is there anything that you think we might have missed or something you want to touch on before we wrap up? The only thing you had asked striking the balance between discipline and preserving the parent child connection. Do you feel like we've kind of covered the connection piece I, with, with a lot of, yeah, this? no, I, I do. And I think, I think one of the main drivers that you mentioned is if you do find like one of your kids is, is lying more frequently, take a step back and look at that broader picture of like, do they need that connection with me? Like on a one-to-one type of basis. And sometimes that just means Mm -hmm. you can just start off doing it five. And I know this might seem so, uh, it probably seems so overwhelming because I know it did to me when I was like, how am I going to find another five minutes? (laughs) Yeah. But like you said, this saves you the time all day when you would be otherwise parenting a different way where you're yes. breaking up a fight and having to navigate through that or you're, you know, like it, it's saving yeah, when you're you. running into conflict. Yes. It's, yes. Yes, it's physically and emotionally exhausting. And with my daughter, one of the things that we did, this was like right after the triplets were born when it's like this poor, like all of our kids felt displaced in different ways. And my daughter in particular, I could see it in her behavior. I could see it in the everyday where I was like, oh my gosh, this poor thing. We did Polly Pockets for five minutes before bedtime. And you would have thought that we were spending hours on end and that I was just making it as magical as Mm. can be. But it was five minutes on her floor before bedtime to piece together that connection. And it made all the difference. Yeah, it really, really does. 
The other one thing that we didn't talk about, and I, if we have time to include it in it was you'd asked about strategies for each stage, but I actually think like I've kind of broken it down to strategies in general of having the conversation, having the correction and having them think through what they need to do to make it right. And then making sure connection is still there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that would be worth touching on, but I think everything else we kind of like dabbled in. Yes. Yeah. I think we did. I think it was great. Um, okay. So two questions I have for you. The first is if you could give one piece of advice to mothers, what would it be? Oh my goodness. One piece of advice to mothers. I would say do what you can do to embrace the stage of life that you are in. I look back on myself as a first time mom and then as a mom of young kids and toddlers. And I think without kind of going through the whole range and obviously like here I am, I'm parenting teenagers now, so I'm not through the whole range. But when I look back on my younger self as a mom, I wish that I had fully realized and embraced that everything was a stage for better and worse. And that when we were in the stage where it was like, I feel chronically sleep deprived, I'm so exhausted or things feel so physically challenging. I wish that I had been able to look ahead to realize, okay, this is not the forever, but how can we adapt within this stage to make the best of it? Because soon enough, we were shifting to, oh, we're not tired. And all of our kids are in bed by 730. And wow, this is amazing. And embracing what was in that stage, but not then also realizing just around the corner was teenagers who are up as late as you are, and you then don't have that time together. Like my husband and I no longer have those hours at the end of the day. And I wish that I had just really embraced each stage for what it was, but also appreciating that the good and the bad in each stage was temporary. And I needed to find a way to just like get the most out of everything because it was going to change soon enough. Yeah. This is like, this is my fear with parenting. You just named it. It's like right now I'm in the seven o'clock phase. I'm in that phase. I'm in that phase. Soak it. And binge all the shows, (laughs) eat all the ice cream, do all the things because I didn't realize it was ending when it was ending. (sighs) Like it just kind of, it's such a gradual thing. It's like I had a friend of mine who talked about, you didn't really know that the last time you read Goodnight Moon was going to be the last time you read Goodnight Moon to your little ones. Mm -hmm. And similar to that, you know, suddenly we were like, wait, what happened where we used to have hours at the end of the day that was quiet Mm -hmm. and us and connecting Mm -hmm. and catching up and leisure to, oh, we are on. We are on until we are crashing into bed and we are like keeping our eyelids peeled open, waiting for them to go to bed sometimes because it just, I I don't know how I'm going to be able to handle that. (laughs) Well, in the meantime, could you please do me a favor and just live it up as yeah. much as you can because you're in a really amazing yeah. spot. Yeah. So yeah, I will. Do all I will the for you, Amy. I will. <laughs> <laughs> it's really an incredible spot to be. I know. I'm like, I'm like, I probably won't be able to have this routine of like getting up at five and working out when they're older because I'm gonna be too tired. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? That's exactly what I'm saying. Like my advice, you're embracing yeah. what that stage yeah. brings. Like good for mm-hmm. you. I, I feel like I squandered it. Yeah. Well, you had six <laughs> like, I feel kids. like there are things I did. I had six kids, but I feel like within each stage, there are things that I'm like, oh my word, if only I'd realized and yeah. kind of felt this like little hint of regret. That's like, oh. totally. But I also think that's part and parcel of parenting. Yes, of right? course. Hindsight we, is always. You go through different stages yep. and you look back and, yep. and you give yourself a lot of grace for the mistakes mm-hmm. that you make and the things that you do. But yep. Yeah, absolutely. Embrace that seven o'clock stage, please. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm, I'm really most interested about this last question. (laughs) If you, I know, I can't wait. If you can make one meal for everybody in your family that everyone would eat, that's relatively quick and easy. What would it be? Oh my goodness. This is actually a really easy one because it's the meal that almost all of my kids ask for, for their, for their birthday. And it is actually fantastically easy. Our Costco sells the really thinly shaved beef. And so I'll get that thinly shaved beef and I'll use like a teriyaki sauce or the Japanese barbecue sauce. Again, Costco Mm -hmm. has it. Like I love Costco. Mix that up, grill that. And then everyone in my family is obsessed with dumplings, whether it's like Trader Mm -hmm. Joe's dumplings or the Costco dumplings, or I don't know if you've discovered the joy of the Mila soup dumplings. No. You know, we moved to California just over two years ago and discovered this restaurant called Din Tai Fung that makes the most amazing handmade soup dumplings and they're delicious, yeah. but it's also quite pricey. And I then heard about this company out of Washington, D.C. that will 
ship frozen soup dumplings straight to your door. And they are really, really good comparison for the dumplings that we okay. get. Okay. What is fun. my, my whole family? I mean, I'm not a huge dumpling fan, but every single one of my family members is, what is it called? Oh, you're going to want to get these. It's called Mila, M-I-L-A. You can get them shipped. They come packed on dry ice straight to your door. We fit as many bags of those in our freezer as we can. Oh. And so while I'm grilling this meat, then I throw those in just the bamboo steamer baskets okay. and it feels like this total feast, but it is super easy. Everybody devours it. You throw green beans or some broccoli mm-hmm. on the side and you've got yourself a full meal. You can add rice and noodles if you want, but optional if you're in a rush. Love it. it is a total crowd pleaser at our house. Oh my gosh. I am I am going to be immediately getting these. I'm very excited about it. Let me know what you I'm think. very, very excited about it. Okay. Yeah, I will. I will let you know. But my kids love, there's a place down the street that's, it's like sh- strictly dumplings basically. Oh, fun. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's good. I've never been a huge dumpling fan again, but my kids are just like, they could eat that every day. Yeah, I know they, my kids will come home. And when we have these bags of Mila in our freezer, we're like, can we do them for a snack? And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> no, speaking no, no. Of not squandering. <laughs> we're not good because they will eat them in one sitting. Mm-hmm. But it's so fun. We've got the little, like the little chopstick heads that make for like easy chopstick. You pop them in yeah. little like rubbery type tops and everybody's sitting around feeling very classy and sophisticated with this big feast that really was one of the easiest meals I pull off because you know sauce is already yeah. made mix it with the beef oh yeah throw the steamer the baskets. oh my gosh and the great thing about these Mila is that they also come with the little perforated papers to throw in your steamer basket those come in the package so really it's just make sure you've got a set of bamboo steamers and a good pan to put those on. Wow. And everyone is happy. I could hit repeat on that meal every night and never get complaints from my kids. It's the best. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Amy, for taking time out of your day and making today work. <laughs> Flying thank you in so and much for on. inviting me on. This was awesome. Hey, thank you so much. I'm so glad it worked out. It's been so much fun to talk to you. And I love what you're doing with your podcast. So keep spreading all the wonderful information. It's such a gift. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.